today's edition of the slice of medieval we have a wonderful guest today who is i think our first scottish guest stephen a mckay his first book was published in 2013 and is called wolf's head and is part of a four book series on robin hood since then he's written the fabulous druid series um, based on bellicus and involving the great merlin and king arthur and he's about to launch a new series with the first book titled The Heathen Horde. Is that right, Stephen? Yep. So without further ado, let's welcome Stephen. Hello, Stephen. Hello. And thank you for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. Nice to be here. So your first series was a four-book series about Robin Hood. What attracted you to Robin Hood's story? Well, to be quite honest, it was a complete accident because I was out at work. I used to be a, a meter reader, you know, gas and electric mm. meters. And I was out at work, I think it was 2009. I've got the exact date written down somewhere uh, in a place called Bears Den in Glasgow, which is uh, one of the posher areas. And it's all these big houses which have names instead of numbers. And I, I just finished one of Bernard Cornwell's uh, Uhtred novels. And I was sitting in the car and I was thinking, I'd really like to to try and write something like this, but who could I write about? I wanted like a, a British hero with the, you know, the British landscape in the background and that kind of historical setting, but I could not think of anything. So I sat in the car for a while, could not come up with a single thing, and I gave up and drove down to my next job to read the meter, and the house was called Sherwood. <laughs> so, I mean, what can you do in that situation? It was definitely a sign from God, wasn't it? So... Immediately, I started thinking, well, Robin Hood, I've never really been interested in Robin Hood. It always seemed a bit twee or something, you know, mm. the old films with the tights on and stuff like that. <laughs> but when I actually started to research it, I realised how good a, a story it really was. Uh, the only problem that I had was once I'd really started to get into it and doing the preparation for it, my mum came up one day and gave me a book to read, and it was Angus Donald's uh, Outlaw. And I thought, oh, for God's sake, somebody's beat me to it. <laughs> And it's already been done. But of course, his his books are completely different to mine. They are. I've read both. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> They're both really enjoyable. I'm one of those. I'm a real Robin Hood fan as well, because I live 30 minutes from Sherwood Forest. So uh, of anything course. Robin Hood, I tend to try and get hold of. I mean, I liked his book. You didn't put him in Sherwood, though. Well, he does go there. <laughs> sometimes. But th that was one thing when I did the research... Because obviously everybody thinks of Robin Hood and it's certain things, a certain king and a certain place, which is Sherwood. And I thought, well, if I just do that, it's just basically almost copying what everybody else has done. There's nothing different. So I was glad when I was doing the research to find that actually the very first Robin Hood ballads were set in Barnsdale in Yorkshire, mm. which isn't that far away from uh, Sherwood. I mean... No, it isn't. I think they could make it there in like a day or something on horseback, maybe even less than that. 
So there was a bit of tie-in between the two. So that's why I made it Barnsdale. Robin Hood and Barnsdale stood, I think, is the very first line of the oldest known Robin Hood ballad. So where where did you get the where did you get your research from for that? Well, it's the usual, isn't it? And back then, there probably were podcasts, but I never knew anything about podcasts for a good few years after that. So it was mostly just books, occasionally websites, but not not mm. quite so much even back then. I think J.C. Holt has written the the, mm. the kind of most famous one, and uh, Graham Phillips with Martin Keatman. That was one of my kind of favourite books because that kind of went off on tangents really and, and wasn't quite so scholarly. You know, it kind of brought in some more mystical ideas even. And then there was other books that went even further that way, kind of more pagan aspects of it. I still kept my Robin as a, a Christian, but bringing in all these other elements made it a bit more interesting. Yeah. I should mention, obviously, Robin of Sherwood. Because... <laughs> I was a bit too young when that came out. I don't remember. I mean, I remember watching The Dukes of Hazard and Knight Rider around that time, but I don't remember ever watching Robin of Sherwood. So I started mm. watching that when I was researching the books. I would have been, I must have been in my thirties then at that time, and I just absolutely loved it. Bought all the DVDs, mm. sat and watch it kind of every year now in mm. summer. Then I bought the Blu-rays, and I mean, it was a big influence in those books, as anybody can probably tell reading it. The the camaraderie and stuff. And those characters yeah. and the actors that portrayed them just seem so big and brash and kind of likable, if you know what I mean. Even the baddies. It was a good. It was a good take yeah. on Robin Hood, wasn't it? The way they they did it. Yeah, yeah. It was very popular. Yeah, even even now it's still yeah very popular. And I mean, I liked again they had the pagan kind of aspects in it, which I think is fair enough because they've still been around at the time. But I didn't want to go too far down that, especially with the kind of modern paganism, which is completely different. You know, it's based on mm. uh, completely different things than it would have been based on back then, really. But it's nice to bring certain things in just to add a bit of creepiness or. <laughs> yeah. You know, I'm not saying pagans are creepy, but you know what I mean. There's certain yeah. aspects that you can bring in and have it contrast with the, the Christianity. Yeah. I think it helps to explain to people the way people thought in medieval times about things yeah. they couldn't explain as well. So they would have the nature side of things, like the yeah. hunter and the green man, to explain things yeah, that exactly. they couldn't explain. Uh-huh. They so they the had signs. that and they had the, like the songs and the stories that are always good to to slip mm. one of those in just to add a bit of colour to it. And the, I think the first book, Wolf's Head, actually pretty much starts off where they're sacrificing a bull, mm. which may seem strange in a, a such a Christian country at that time that they would be doing these pagan practices, but apparently they did. You know, it was just a holdover. And even now we still have certain things like Halloween and stuff like that that are completely pagan in origin, but, you know, they still carry on to this day, despite the church's, you know, protestations or whatever. Songs is a funny one, isn't it? Because throughout time, people have loved to listen to people singing and join in and so on. Yep. And really, in, in the modern age, we're sort of losing that, aren't we? I mean, even in the 20th century, that was still early. Certainly the first half of the 20th century, you know, the old wartime songs and all yeah. of that kind of thing which were really part of culture. They were in people's heads and psyche. But but this generation, I, I don't know, it seems to me we haven't got that kind of folk history song sort of, that tells our story. Yeah, I think it's maybe just the type of music. It, it, it's changed uh, from the, yeah. the folky side yeah. of it. I mean, obviously I listen to heavy metal all the time, but even stuff like Iron Maiden have songs about literature and 
history and things like that. But I don't, I mean, I've, my daughter listens to a lot of a mix of stuff. She's 15. And no, the modern stuff, yeah. I don't know. It's like every generation, isn't it? They think that their kids' music's rubbish. <laughs> and I'm certainly the same. I think. I can't say it's just a noise because the music I listen to is pretty much just a noise. But, uh, but you do get that, though, don't you? Because during the 80s, they used to say it was this decade that music forgot. And now yeah, everybody's passing back to the music of the 80s. Yeah, exactly. I think the 80s is a good uh, example mm. because at the time it seemed very throwaway and it was all the synthesizers and it was, uh, oh, this is easy. You don't need yeah. any skill to use the synthesizer. But obviously the songs are very yeah. memorable, you know, the Human League and things like that. Whereas nowadays, I just don't really hear much that's as interesting as that. And if you go back slightly further, the stuff I listen to that's not heavy metal, like Jethro Tull and Fairport Convention, they definitely have that folky aspect to them yeah. and yeah. historical aspect as definitely. well. Definitely. I was at a Knights in Battle event at Cunningsborough Castle donkeys years ago in the 80s or 90s, 90s, I think it was. And they were playing Jethro Tull right. to get people into. And I mean, when I was younger, when I was 15, I would have laughed at that stuff and I would have thought, well, those are rubbish. This is old man. Mm-hmm. Music, but but now yeah. they certainly it's certainly set the atmosphere around the castle that day. Yeah, so. it, well, it does. Yeah, whereas like modern music doesn't seem to have that same atmospheric quality to it. It's, no. I don't know. Hopefully, it'll go back the way one day and get back into a bit more of the storytelling yeah. aspects. I mean, yeah. you, you do get like rap. Rap is based on storytelling, isn't it? But yeah, it's just not. Our kind of storytelling, mm. you know, it's not like uh, rap doesn't tell you a story about Robin Hood or mm. historical stuff. It's, it's different things that maybe somebody like me doesn't quite uh, understand. Also, I think uh, melodies are yeah. important, Ali. Simple melodies, which people, you know, you you can't get it out of your head almost. Yeah, you can remember. It's that yeah. kind of thing, yeah. which which we don't seem to have quite at the moment. I guess in the younger generation, maybe there is. But there's so much diversity of music. I mean, if you go back, you know, even 100 years, the songs that everyone was singing were probably much the same songs yeah. from much the same artists or singers. Yeah. Whereas now there's just yeah. so much variety of music that, you know... Well, it's so easy to find that it isn't quite the same. And everybody, yeah. I mean, yeah. me included, thinks they're a, a songwriter <laughs> and, and they stick stuff up in Spotify or, yeah. or what, what yeah. we've got our theme song on YouTube and stuff like that. Yeah. Whereas back in those days, you, you had certain people that would be the... Mm. Yeah, the songwriters. I suppose it is interesting to think if songwriters back in say the fifth century to medieval times, yeah, did all the songs sound completely different because they weren't meeting each other mm. and sharing ideas, <laughs> or did they travel around and share ideas? Oh, wow. So you know, I suppose also medieval times the purpose of a song was very different to today. Today it's to entertain. Yeah. In those days, yes, it was to entertain, but it was to get their stories out there. They weren't necessarily written down. And if they were, very few people could read them. Yep, yep. So the way to get stories told, to remember history, was to do it in song. Yeah, there's an oral history aspect, isn't there? Yeah. Yeah, This. well, I like to have that in my books where Bellicus the mm-hmm. Druids might be writing a song about some great hero that's died. So, you know, the, like the Vikings or whatever their name yeah. passes down through song. So your Robin, slightly different from, if you like, the classic Robin, in that the classic Robin obviously steals from the rich and gives to the poor. Your Robin is a little bit, is a little bit different. Was it just to, to be different? How did you see the character? I think I just wanted to try and make him as realistic as possible. You know, in the final book, I got to a point where I'd kind of done some good baddies. Mm. But like the Sheriff of Nottingham, he wasn't really a baddie. He was 
it was just against Robin because he was an outlaw and he was the lawman of the time. Yeah. So I wanted to try and have everybody kind of realistic. So rather than black and white, it was, you know, shades of grey for the characters. Mm. And Robin was definitely supposed to be a bit like that, but he had his weaknesses and his strengths. But by the time it came to Blood of the Wolf, the fourth one, I decided, well, I've kind of done all this. Now, how do I make it ramp it up for the final book? So I made that body basically just a psycho <laughs> who has no redeeming qualities whatsoever. And I think it made it a good ending for the series but in general I try to make all my characters a bit more grey than you know all good or bad because we're not all good or bad even the worst people in the world generally have people that love them or Mm. think they're alright you know even somebody like Hitler I actually had people that yeah. thought he was he was he was a nice guy when obviously it wasn't. Mm. But so you have to kind of try and write the the story with the characters from that kind of point of view, and that was what I did with Robin really. Well, I think it was good. We were talking about this last week with Catherine, weren't we, Catherine Warner, about the way even historians have sometimes portrayed people as black and white. Yeah. If somebody died young, they were always ill. You know, if they ended up being bad, then they were always <laughs> bad, and it's never that way. Life makes you what you are. Yeah, yeah. I think occasionally you do get people in life that are bad pretty much from the moment they're born. Yeah. But it's quite rare and it does make for a good villain in a book, but generally I think it's better to have shades, different shades. Yeah, definitely. But I must be honest, I was a wee bit surprised because I don't really remember Robin being particularly bad in my books. No, he wasn't. He was... Maybe not the shining hero that the TV Robin Hood and the 50s and, and 60s and so on. Yeah. Yeah. They always did everything right. They were, every decision was perfect, you know, to the point of almost getting themselves killed every five minutes. They always had to do the right thing. The, the noble thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah I, don't, I don't... Is that realistic? I doubt it. We all have... <laughs> no, no. We no. all have fears and stuff. I mean, I was watching SWAT last night, the American TV show, yeah. which I love, but it's, it's very formulaic and the, the main guy, Shamar Moore, he's brilliant on it, but... He's giving a speech to a guy that he's just shot saying, <laughs> we can't all be heroes, you know, you have to do it through training. And you're sitting watching it, you're thinking, oh, I wish I was like him. <laughs> but, you know, nobody's really, most people aren't really like that. We do all have our fears and nervous about stuff and anxieties about stuff. And Robin Hood would be no different, I'm sure. He'd probably worse yeah. than other folk because he's living out in the forest, being chased yeah. by everyone, basically. Why do you think Robin Hood himself has become one of the greatest medieval heroes? I think it's just exciting to think of living out in the forest. I know I've just said that that's probably terrifying, but it would be terrifying for you if it was happening to you. <laughs> with all the everybody chasing you and you're the wolf's head and anybody can kill you with without fear of the law. But I mean, t- I think it's just the idea of living out in the forest with your girlfriend and your pals and, you know, and just beating up <laughs> rich folk that are horrible to everyone, stealing their stuff and then, you know, sitting around a campfire eating roast venison or whatever and drinking beer. You know, that, that sounds... If you were a peasant mm. in medieval times, hearing that story, it probably sounded like heaven. Mm. And, and it still kind of does, really, yeah. doesn't it? That's the idea of that. Um, as long as you don't think too much about the fear of, constant fear of being killed. <laughs> yeah. So I think that's probably played a big part into it. And also the fact is, to this day, it carries on that, you know, stick it to the mm. man. Everybody hates the government. Everybody yeah. hates authority telling yeah. them what to do. Maybe not at my age or our age. Uh, you kind of get over yeah. that. Certainly younger people and definitely back in medieval times. Mm. And I think everybody really did hate authority with a passion yeah. because of the way they were treated by them. Mm. And I think... 
having a hero like Robin Hood to believe in and look up to just made the stories all that more exciting and they just kind of developed and those themes of you know hope and love and loss and all that stuff that's in the Robin Hood and my novels anyway I think you know it it carries on it's from any period in time Mm. everybody enjoys things like that and has those same feelings it does make me laugh though we don't actually know who robin hood is and nobody can definitively identify him yeah or if he existed <laughs> well we in south yorkshire yep. have named an airport after him right because he's so famous throughout yeah. the world <laughs> yeah. yeah and he's got robin hood's bay and yeah i mean i've read theories that it was actually william wallace it's crazy i think it's the number of iterations of the legend that make it such a big thing because anybody can in their own area that and of course everybody was local yeah. everybody yeah. lived in the same place forever so the fact that it could apply to you in your area was was what was attractive about it really yeah exactly mm. it wasn't about somebody else it was about it could be about your your local outlaw or whatever yeah and since just about everybody was a peasant anyway uh it appealed to all of them and I think that's why there's nobody can say who Robin Hood was because it was basically an amalgamation of probably various yeah. heroes yeah. from all over, maybe Northern England, Southern Scotland. And it was just all put into one big story, all the different parts of it. Yeah, yeah. Obviously, you've you've written about other members of the, the band, as it were. So have you got a favourite character amongst the Merry Men? I think it's probably Little John. Yeah? Just... I mean, I like these kind of characters. Bellicus is the same, just a big, huge guy <laughs> that can kind of shove everybody out the road uh, if they get in his way, you know, any enemies that try to stand against them, they just get a whack and knocked out the road. Yeah. And, uh, it's kind of boys' own stuff, isn't it, as mm. they call it? And the fact that Little John is also, he's kind of like a really nice guy, mm. you know, don't cross him. If you cross him, you're going to get a, a right good thump. But he's, <laughs> he's a really nice guy and he kind of holds the band together at times because he wants to be kind of everybody's friend. So he's a really good kind of lieutenant to to Robin Hood, who maybe has different aspects to him, that he's not quite as nice a guy or whatever. So I think, yeah, it's probably Little John. I, I do like, I'm not particularly tall myself, you know, I'm like five foot 11 or something. And it's always kind of fascinated me when you see this enormous guy maybe walking yeah. into the shop. And you think, I wonder what it's like to be as tall as that. Yeah. I'm five foot two. I think that about everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I walk into the shop and go, why do they have the top shelves there? <laughs> Well, that's what I mean. Being tall has all these uh, great advantages, and oh, you can be very in- intimidating. And I've seen big guys that are boxers and stuff like that, and you think, well, I really would not want to get in the wrong side of them. But at the same time, you know, being tall has disadvantages. You know, it makes you a target. Mm. People, people want to prove to themselves mm. and everybody else that they can bring you down. You know, they can beat you in a fight or whatever, purely because of the way you look or the size of you. And it's, it's, it's you know, so all this kind of feeds into mm. the stories, doesn't it? And the contradiction between the huge size and the nice guy sort of thing is yeah, exactly, is, is really yep. good, isn't it? Yeah, and I do like how even though you finished the four book series on Robin Hood, you have continued the story with Little John, Will Scarlet and Friar Took, with a short story every year. Yep. There's some fabulous novellas, ghostly ones, um, chasing around the countryside trying to <laughs> find a delivery guy with a present. That's right, yeah. 
had me in absolute giggles by the end of it, that last book. Um, have you ever thought of doing a full-length one of those? I think it'd be brilliant. Well, I know you've said this before, uh, but Sworn to God is basically a short novel. I think it's like uh, 236 pages, so it's almost mm. it's almost there, you know. The hard thing is, I'm not really a mystery reader, you know, so I, I don't really know what I'm doing in terms of writing a novel. What I do, I think, works fine for a novella or even a short novel, but I don't read those types of books, so I don't know how it's all done and how, how those the best of those writers do it. So I like to just keep it simple and just keep it short. And it, usually it, it's kind of a way of writing short ones. Are, it's a lot of fun because there's mm-hmm. not so much involved. You know, you don't have to keep things as tight together as what a full novel does you know it's not so much it goes into it not so much planning not so much editing you can just kind of knock it out and, and stick it out there and especially at christmas you know I, I don't know if if you wrote a full novel because they don't sell that well because they're short mm. so if i was to put a, a whole lot of effort into writing something that was maybe set at christmas and people only buy it at christmas you know, it's a lot of effort for something that people aren't going to buy for 10 months of the year yeah yeah also, at the minute, it is nice to look forward to. There better be another one this Christmas because I've got, <laughs> I've got in the habit now. <laughs> so have I. And, but the only problem is, obviously, I've got a publisher now. Yeah. And they're expecting three books yeah. for Alfred the Great. And wow. I've, I managed to finish the first one two months ahead of time, I think. Hopefully, I'll do the same again with this one, the second one. And But then, do I have time mm-hmm. to then self-publish a short story, I don't know. I never thought I would have time last year because I knew I would be having to start the Alfred stuff and I just managed to find like a week or something to, to quickly write it and then get it all edited. So I'll try, but I don't have any ideas or anything yet. Mm-hmm. So I'll need to come up. I'll hopefully find something. You know, it's usually like through crime podcasts <laughs> yeah. that throw up some kind of creepy story or something yeah. that I can then have Friar Tuck investigate. <laughs> so who's your favourite Robin Hood from TV or film? I feel kind of bad saying Michael Prade because I feel sorry for Jason Connor. <laughs> yeah, but we Jason... Kevin Costner. <laughs> I don't really remember that movie. I think it was okay at the time, but uh, Kevin Costner's all right. I, I don't have any, anything against Kevin Costner. I think the problem with Kevin Costner was the fact that Alan Rickman and the Brian the Adams. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. He stole the show. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But he was definitely better than Russell Crowe, who was... Oh, yeah. I mean, it was just that crazy accent that seemed weird. to be Irish or something. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That was... Made it almost unwatchable, that that bizarre accent. Well, they should have just done the Gladiator accent, and that would have been brilliant, because he was so good in that. Uh, I don't think anything can compare to Robin of Sherwood. And it's a shame. Yeah. And I think it has to be Michael Prague because he was the one who started it. Yeah, he's the one that made it his his character. And yeah. I, I do like the episodes with Jason Connery. I think they're fine. Yeah. Uh, and if he'd been the only one, it would have been great as well. It's yeah. just that Michael Prade was he was so good. And to be honest, although I'm I'm straight, you have to admit <laughs> that Michael Prade was an extremely handsome guy. He was. You know, he did certainly. I was a teenager at the time. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I'll bet you loved him then, because I mean, he's such a handsome guy, and nothing—not that Jason <laughs> wasn't, but Michael Prade was just—he's one of those guys that, as a man, you look at and you think, "God, I wish I looked like that." I used to look at most men and say that, actually. <laughs> <laughs> I think we do, don't we? That's why we like to write books, Derek, and we, we make our characters yeah. big and strong yeah, and tall and handsome. 
<laughs> exactly. We can believe we're them for a wee while. Yeah, right. Well, we we usually ask um, who you would want to play in this case, Robin Hood, and then and then we find that nobody can remember anybody who's actually of the right age to play them <laughs> because we can remember everybody, all the actors who are older. But Michael Prade is obviously probably probably the answer. But uh, if it was do, if it was now, I don't know. I probably wouldn't. Yeah, I probably wouldn't pick Michael Prade. Um, I would want somebody a bit uh, grittier for the role. But yeah, because you know, Michael does seem again like such a nice guy mm. that I, I don't think he would really fit the role. But I don't know. I always I don't really watch that much TV or, or watch movies really that much. Um, so I don't know that many modern actors. Well, you started this new series. Um, is the first book called The Heathen Horde, or is that the name of the series? No, that's just the first book. Yeah. Well, so what what attracted you to Alfred the Great telling that story? Was it just your editor suggested it, or did you yeah. think really? Yeah, yeah. That he had he had reviewed a book for him. He'd asked me on Twitter if I would like to review an advance review copy of one of the books that he was editing and I did it for him and I, I think he, he was quite pleased that I'd done it so quickly and mm. you know I'd, I'd worked fast for him and uh, so he just suggested would you like to work with Canelo and I thought well alright because I do make nice covers and he was he seemed like such an enthusiastic guy that I thought well this is good because publishers aren't always yeah yeah they might act interested, but they kind of soon lose interest mm-hmm. once the book's out, I think. Um, and I don't think Canelo's like that. But, I mean, he's the mm-hmm. one that approached me and said, would you like to work with us? So I was like, well, I never had any other ideas. I was doing my Druid stuff. So I said to him, well, what do you want me to do? Have you got any ideas? And I think that was the first idea I came up with was Alfred the Great. I would never have thought of Alfred the Great. Again, he's, he's a bit like Robin Hood. I, I never knew anything mm. about Alfred until the editor suggested it. And to me, it was just some kind of boring historical <laughs> lesson that uh, people probably get fed at school. Because, me being yeah. Scottish, I'd never, yeah. I'd never had those lessons, you know. I don't think they get them um, here, right? They, they, they seem to start I think, I'm sure Matthew... <laughs> I'm sure... I, that's, there's certain things I've really guessed, but I'm sure Matthew said he got it at probably. school. Probably, yeah. Yeah, um, I know I did. But I, we I have Romans. We, we always did, did Romans, and I know Lewis did Romans. But then he got. Oh, see, I wish we Vikings. had. Uh, no, we never get anything exciting. We all we got was the the Blitz, the Second World War, because Clay Bank, uh, mm. which is where I live, is pretty much. It was blitzed in the Second World War, so we. That's what I, I wasn't interested in that at all. I wanted Romans mm. and Greeks and Egyptians and. Vikings and stuff, and we never got it. And we certainly never got Alfred the Great yeah. that I remember. Uh, and as I say, I thought it was going to be really boring. But, but then I started researching <laughs> it and I thought, actually, this guy had an unbelievably yeah. exciting life. Yeah. And he was a really, really good character to, to put in a novel, all the different stuff mm. that happened to him and what he was like as a person. And although the women aren't mentioned much, there's quite a lot about him to, mm. to explore. And as I say, I started researching it and I thought, well, actually, this is a brilliant idea, all the stuff that happened uh, to him and yeah. just the kind of character, is the, the fact that he has these physical ailments, where if, yeah. first of all, he had hemorrhoids, apparently, and then he asked God to take them away 
And they did, God took these hemorrhoids away, but and gave them terrible stomach pains mm -hmm. and stuff instead. Mm -hmm. And it's just, to me, that it's, it seems like it's probably stress and anxiety that caused it all. And I don't know about you guys, but I've had certain things where I've had terrible headaches and stuff. And it's only after a couple of years that I've realised that it was always yeah. happening just before my open university exams. <laughs> and I realised it's actually the stress of these exams has given me physical yeah. pain. Mm -hmm. Mm. And you know, there's other things where, like, yeah. when I was in a band, we would get a bit stage fright before going on stage, and I would actually vomit. You know, I'd actually have to go to the toilet and be sick. And after that, I'd be fine. I'd go on stage and I'd be fine. So, I know from personal experience that stress and fear can cause physical problems. So, I thought that would be quite interesting to explore with Alfred. He had a pretty stressful life, didn't he? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I mean, yeah, all the things that happen, all these kings, especially when the Vikings are coming for you and they've maybe just done the blood eagle on mm. on a neighbouring king and you've got the thought of this and you've mm. got a family and, you know, these crazed Vikings are surrounding you. So, yeah, it would be a terribly anxious time for anyone, never mind him. So, yeah, it's quite good that he's obviously, he's a Christian. The Vikings were yeah. well, pagan. They had their own gods and stuff. So it's a good kind of mixture of everything. Again, it's just, mm. his stories really get everything a historical novel really needs. And I don't really have to make anything up. You know, I have added in some little bits here and there just to make it more exciting. Mm. But it really doesn't need to be made more exciting because his life was, you know, it was brilliant, the, the stuff that happened to him. The, the things, I mean, <laughs> the whole thing with the... The ships, the Viking fleet, yeah, they were coming. I probably shouldn't give it away for people reading the book, but you know there was a a God sent disaster mm. that uh, basically saved saved yeah, the nation. Yeah. And it, I'm reading this when I'm researching it. I'm thinking this is something that you I would never have made this up in a novel because it's so unbelievable. Yeah, mm. people wouldn't think it would be it could ever happen, and yet it's actually true. So. Working that in a novel was, you know, really interesting and I enjoyed finding a way to do it and to make it an exciting, exciting scene. So it's, You let him burn the cakes. <laughs> I'm not telling you. <laughs> not in the first book anyway. It, it, that, yeah. That's in the second book, <laughs> that, that time period. But no, I, I'm quite sure it never happened in real life. It, it seems ridiculous. Yeah, I am. It's like... It's like Robert the Bruce and the Spider, isn't it? It's just... It's, yeah, yeah, it's allegorical or whatever they, they say. Um, there was... It was supposed to be that the, the old lady or whatever who was making the cakes didn't recognise him. Of course nobody would recognise him because they never had, like, tabloids or anything back their TV or in. So how would you know who, what he looked like? And I was saying, well, he was on the coins. <laughs> <laughs> but... I've actually got a reproduction of one of the Alfred coins, and I mean, if it looked like that, then no wonder he felt sick all the time because it, it you know, it just looks yeah. crazy. Nobody looks like yeah. that. Yeah. So, I, yeah. I, I thought it was quite interesting that you know, would they recognise him with all these coins and pictures of him? No, you wouldn't. I think they'd probably recognise his noble bearing, you know, the clothes he was wearing and things like that. But that he was wearing expensive clothes, maybe. But otherwise, they wouldn't know one lord from the other until he stood there and said, I'm King Alfred. <laughs> yeah, and, and then would they believe it? It's another aspect, it's another perspective, isn't it, of the period of of what people knew, what they experienced, what they didn't understand and so on. 
it, it's it's what it's all about. Now the, the series does it does it sort of begin and end with Alfred or does it go beyond Alfred? Well, I don't know. Um, obviously, there's a possibility that it could go further on with Edward or whatever. Yeah. I've I've only signed a contract for three books. And they're all about Alfred, and yeah. um, we've kind of set what years each book will cover, um, and then it will finish. And obviously, after that, I'd quite like to go back to as you did, go back to my own self-published series and do another Druid novel because people people yes. are wanting to read another. Yes, definitely. Um, <laughs> I know. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but after that, I mean, I'm I'm enjoying writing these Alfred ones. So, if they were to sell well. And there was an appetite for a, a continuation, you know, then I have to talk to the publisher about it and see if I could carry on. I, I haven't researched anything past Alfred's life, so I don't know how exciting Edward's story is around. I know that uh, Bernard Cornwell's, the TV show and stuff, cover that. So there, there probably is fodder there for more. Yeah, I would think so. Yeah, I'm sure there would be. Yeah, we looked into Edward a few a couple of months ago, didn't we? And um, yeah. Edward and Ethel fled. It's an interesting period. Yeah, I think Ethelfled as well, because there's not much about women written down in the sources. She would be a really good character because she's a strong woman. And maybe, we'll see what the publisher says. I suppose it depends on sales. If, if nobody buys them, I doubt the publisher will want any more. I'm sure they'll, I'm sure they'll sell. I'm sure they'll sell. And what we, the conclusion we came to when we talked about Edward was that sandwiched between Alfred and Athelstan, He's sort of inevitably seen as lesser, right? Right. But actually, you know, he did he did quite a lot, yeah. uh, achieved quite a lot. Yeah, and I think especially the the Last Kingdom TV show that you know it's not really what I've been finding in my research, especially with Alfred. You know, he's kind of portrayed as this bookish, yeah, kind of weak, uh, smaller guy who needs Uhtred to go and fight for yeah. him, and. I just don't really get that from the research at all. Alfred himself was a famous warrior, you know, who led his troops into battle. All the kings did back then, that's how they got the respect. They had to yeah. stand at the front yeah. of the shield yeah. wall themselves. Mm. So that's how I've taken him and, and my uh, books, that he is actually, he's not like Uhtred, he's not as hard as him, but, you know, he is definitely less weak as what he's portrayed in, in Cornwell's TV series, yeah. which is excellent in yeah. general. yeah. Oh, well, we're looking forward to it. I think it's easy to go either way because he had this illness, which, I mean, I think of lately, is it Crohn's disease they think is yeah, most likely? Yeah. yeah, they think it was Crohn's disease. Mm. Uh, mm. It seems to basically be like stomach pains. I mean, people thought he was going to die because of it, but he never, you know, he, 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 he suffered with it for, you know, years and years. It never killed him. Maybe it did in the end. I don't know. I've not really researched that far ahead, so I don't want to go too far ahead because <laughs> I'm going so detailed to it. But um, it certainly never killed him, you know, for years. Uh, so he obviously wasn't that weak, you know, and to be... And he's a bit like King John as well, isn't he? He was something like the fourth or fifth yeah, son. That's and right. on earth he actually became yeah. king is a bit of a miracle. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Well, he never thought he would ever be king. So he hadn't prepared for it. He wasn't trained to do all the stuff that a king was supposed to do it was just kind of thrust upon him and and yet somehow he managed to be so good at the job that he's known now as alfred the great so yeah for a mm. guy that nowadays seems to be portrayed as a bit of a weakling with uh, this you know piles <laughs> and stuff like that as if it's some kind of yeah. joke 
Uh, yeah. yeah, he really wasn't. You know, he was a really good character for a novel. Brilliant. I can't wait. <laughs> Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's, it's it's usual though, isn't it? You know, once you finish it and you think, oh, that was quite good, and then you start to panic and you think, is it good though? <laughs> Will Arab like this? Maybe it's rubbish. Yeah, really? I, I think we all get that, don't we? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wait and see yeah. the first reviews coming out and hope they're good. <laughs> well, we look forward to it, certainly. It's really, really interesting. You'll have to come back and talk to us about it when it's out. Definitely. Uh, yeah, we were looking to, for someone yeah. to talk about King Alfred, weren't we? <laughs> yeah, well, we? Yeah, we were. We were talking, we were saying, should we do one on Alfred? So, uh, yeah. October. Well, there you go, then. Uh, <laughs> and hopefully that'll be, yeah, and that'll be fresher in my mind than Robin Hood, but, you know. Yeah. So hopefully, hopefully, although I won't have any excuses if I don't know anything about him. <laughs> well, thank you very much, Stephen. I've really enjoyed Thank you that. for having me. Hi. <laughs> right. Um and I, I, I must say, I absolutely love your music. The, we were talking about that earlier, like the Jethro Tull type atmosphere. And it's something I, as I said, I write my own songs and stuff, but they're pretty mm-hmm. much heavy metal. Or mm-hmm. the closest they could come <laughs> to folk music would be like an acoustic song that might be sound like Led Zeppelin. But your your theme song is something that's the kind of thing I would really love to be able to write. I love that kind of music, but I can never write it myself. The actual artist's name is Adriel Fair. We, we had about five or six we sort of listened through and decided that that one was about as appropriate as we could find, you know. See, I think most people yeah. probably skip theme songs yeah. after they've heard <laughs> yeah. them. You know, if That's you're a regular right. podcast yeah. listener, you yeah. just go skip yeah. through all this, skip through all the adverts, hurry up and just start talking. Yeah. But I do like the your music. Well, it's been great to talk to you. And uh, we will we will certainly will pencil you in for October to talk about Alfred, because that'll be great. Um Yeah, it'd be good for me as well. Yeah, you know, promote yeah. the book. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah. I'm going yeah. To pencil it in now and then I will remember. Uh we'll look forward to it. October. And I'll I'll definitely review it before then. Time permitting, because that's the other thing. People who ask me, I know, I've I stopped. Know. I've almost stopped reviewing books because I just don't. I can't. Yeah. I want to be able to do justice to it. Yeah. And I've started doing these two-minute video reviews because I just sort of sketch it down and yep. record it, and then it's done. Which may, it may sound a bit lazy, but I just can't find time to write a review these days. It's just you know what it's like. You know you. you you're writing or researching. Exactly. Or, I just or can't find time to read novels. You know, if it's on yeah, Audible, I might, yeah. I might listen to it. But even at that, there's, there's so much. Yeah. Like I use podcasts for research now as well. Mm-hmm. Well, it's been great to talk to you anyway. Great to meet you, first of all, and, and to talk to you. And uh, hopefully uh, it won't be too long before we talk to you again. Aye, hopefully. Hopefully there'll be a successful novel to discuss in October. Yeah, good luck with that. Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure there will be. I've read all the other. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> I know what I'm letting myself in for. <laughs> yeah, but that's you do start to think. Well, I, I've done all these other ones. I should know what I'm doing by now. But then there's always a wee bit of doubt that oh, maybe I should have done this. I've done that. I know what you mean. I Keeps know you on you mean. your toes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Whenever you put a new book out, I was yeah. the same with this one on Nicola. I thought I've had done enough. Somebody's going to complain that there's too much about everybody else mm. and not enough about Nicola. And but. The reviews have been overwhelming. Yeah, exactly. You can't you can't win everything. Uh, yeah. Somebody's always going to complain about something. <laughs> well, I think I'll go out the back and do my writing today. It's nice and sunny out there. Yeah, and here, yeah, blue skies down here. <laughs>
Okay, then. So we'll come at you again when the book's out, and I'll, I'll try and get hold of a, an ARC to review as well. If you get Kit to... I'll, I'll say to my publisher. They asked me for a list of people. Okay, then. So uh, see you later in the year, hopefully. Yeah, definitely. And uh, great to talk to you. Thank you. Thanks very much, Stephen. Okay. Excellent. Okay, yeah. thanks, guys. Bye-bye. See you later. Cheers. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye. Join us next time on A Slice of Medieval when we'll be investigating the life and career of Margaret of Anjou, the wife of Henry VI of England and a leading figure in the Wars of the Roses. I'm Sharon Bennett Connolly. And I'm Derek Burks. Join us again next time. But before then, you might be interested in this. Hello there. My name is Matthew Harfey. And my name is Stephen A. McKay. Together we host Rock Paper Swords, the historical action and adventure podcast. We are both best-selling historical fiction authors and each week we chat about all things historical and anything that could fall under the banner of action and adventure in books, film, TV and games. We've had some amazing guests over recent months including Bernard Cornwell, author of The Last Kingdom and Sharp, best-selling author Simon Scarrow, TV celebrity historian and author Dan Jones. We've even interviewed the great flute-playing frontman of Jethro Tull, Ian Anderson. So, if you're into history, historical fiction, action and adventure, writing, and rock music, or any of the above, we'll have something for you on Rock Paper Swords, available wherever you listen to your podcasts.